0: What the president has done, and very much from the perspective of what it feels like to sit around a dining room table or a, a kitchen table uh, in uh, in this country, because that is,
1: that's his lived experience, and that's the way that he approaches these economic policy questions.
0: Republicans
2: seek to take control of the House of Representatives.
1: Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate.
2: A liberal MSNBC hosts warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of... Canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front. Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn
3: Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny.
4: Welcome to the Ruthless Friday program. Uh, Just remember, that is Biden's director of the National Economic Council imploring you all to remember that a man that has been in elected office since 1974 has had the lived experience. Yeah. Of us all with these kitchen counter the issues. kitchen
0: the kitchen table issues yeah yeah well
4: why why not,
0: I mean does he think that uh, people in the United States like <laughs> don't have that lived experience
1: yeah he's like, <laughs> like you don't know what it's like
0: how how else do people eat dinner other than around a dining room table
1: I wish more folks would appreciate that the Biden family you know wait how many millions because Hunter Biden is an expert <laughs> on Ukrainian energy yeah. And, and they're struggling, folks. He's more American than you guys, <laughs> basically. And, and, and also, you know, for the, folks, Can you imagine? For, for the folks who have taken my advice and read What It Takes uh, by Richard Ben Kramer, th- it discusses Joe Biden's life. The dude basically abandoned his, like, actual family to live with his uncle because his uncle is rich, and he wanted to live the rich life. So. Yes, I appreciate his lived experience. <laughs> All Americans who are paying like an arm and a leg for gas have a rich uncle they can run off to like Joe Biden.
4: Increasingly, listening to the Biden administration, we're going to cover this in some detail because there's been a lot of navel gazing this week out of Democrats. And you can see by what they're trying to do to sort of refocus on the economy. Yeah. But increasingly, when I hear statements like the one we just heard to open this show, I feel like there, it, it, there's some projection there that's going on because... He's, they're they're all surrounded by people who have not lived the average American life, right? This right. is like a permanent Democratic establishment residing on the coasts, went to boarding schools and Ivy League schools, and their lived experience is very difficult for them to relate to average Americans. Right. So they just talk about it constantly. Well,
0: also like here's the thing, like. Okay, fine. You you don't live the average American's uh, life. Okay, fine. Empathize with the American people. Don't tell them they save sixteen cents on their Fourth of July, and that inflation isn't real and it's a figment of their imagination. Bingo. Or or don't claim that the president of the United States is his lived experience around a kitchen table. Like like I mean, how condescending insanely. is that bullshit? Insanely condescending. Like insanely <laughs> condescending. But, oh, the president of the United States. You don't understand. You don't understand his lived experience. Around a kitchen table, dining room table. How the fuck do the rest of us eat? Like what are you fucking
4: talking about? I'll tell you what
1: I guarantee on Air Force One you could get baby formula. (laughs) Any time you
4: wanted. And that two and a half hour trip uh, on Excella twice a week Well certainly, I mean, amongst the masses, (laughs) you know, they don't have the quiet car there. Isn't exactly what it's cracked up. I mean,
1: the Wi is tough. It's a lived experience.
4: It's a lived experience. Very difficult. (laughs) But you you know,
1: I
3: think, I think Duncan, you made the right point. He's talking about lived experience on the heels of a months long campaign to try to convince people that the economy is better than they think. Right. These people are so out of touch,
4: so out of touch. It's incredible. So we've got actually a very good guest for this topic. Selena Zito, you've probably read her byline in the New York Post or the Washington Examiner or the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. She's ubiquitous. She writes very much from the perspective of your average American in the communities that we all live in, not sort of like, you know, these sort of coastal elitist enclaves where most journalism is is residing. We talk a lot about the state of journalism and everything else. I think you're going to enjoy that. Great guest. Great yeah. guest. Yeah, it's terrific. Good perspective. And uh you know i think maybe what we should do is get into the five stars right off the bat here. sure uh who wants to start
1: I'll, I'll get the first one uh this is uh titled you saved my wife's life this is from fight milk sc okay. fight
0: milk is that uh, always sunny in
1: philadelphia reference because if it is i love it but go ahead <laughs> it says gentlemen i would like to take this opportunity to thank you for saving my wife's life as a longtime listener of the program and my continuous references to it in our daily lives, my wife has finally given in and started listening to the podcast on her own. That's the way to do it, folks. Yes. That's the way to do it. On a recent cross-country move, she listened to an episode that detailed how to approach a wild turkey should you ever come across one. Oh, yes. Lo and behold, three days into her new job, she found herself face-to-face with such a beast while walking on a wooden path. Wow. Rather than backing down, she made herself as tall as possible yep. and let the fellow know that she wasn't turning around. She talked the bird into stepping off into the woods and continued on her way. Six months pregnant, and she did it much better than the pansy you guys mentioned who threw his bike and fled. (laughs) What a hero. Thank you for helping her get home safely, and God bless. That's why we do this. The
4: program is saving lives. That's exactly right. Well, gentlemen, listen, it's not just fun and games here, there's important public service that's to be done. You need to know how to confront these animals. Oh. And before we get to our next five star, did you see the video that was going viral this week about the guy that took the kangaroo out? Took
0: down the kangaroo. And I, uh, Holmes, Definitely sh- a listener. Holmes, you showed it to me on your phone. Yes. And I got to say, mea culpa. Uh, we previously had a segment uh, where I, in particular, had said, you know, you don't want to get inside on a roo because of the strong legs. They've got strong arms, but you don't want to get so close that they can kick you, mm-hmm. you know? And, mm-hmm. I, and I thought, you know, in my strategy of fighting a roux, it would be to stay outside, to use your reach of your longer arms. Pop the schnoz. Do some pops. Do some pops and maybe like a kick to the to the center mass. Yeah. But this video that you showed me, Holmes, it's going viral. You Look for it on social media if, 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 if you have a chance. You're not driving right now. But... Uh, he gets inside on a roux and sort of does a, what in wrestling we'd call like a cowcatcher move, like yeah. sort of like a hip toss,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and flips the roux. It was incredible. Got inside and lived to tell the tale. Yeah, well, I, you'd
1: want to get inside. The kick is mid range. That's oh. the no man's land. You don't want to be there. Mid you range get in is there. tough. You well, you can see
4: the man made mistakes first, right? It wasn't just a total knockout. This roux came after him. The footwork of the roux was exemplary. Yeah. It was hopping around, he's trying to get it, you know. He looked like, like
0: Muhammad a, Ali of kangaroos.
4: Yeah, yeah, I mean he was really and so he just had no choice but to get inside, but to your point, the one thing that I think we missed with the roo is they are so bottom heavy with those big legs mm-hmm. that if you wrap them up around the around the arms, you can tip those things right over. Tip them
3: right over. Well, I think we promised ourselves we weren't going to let this episode get carried away with animal fighting. However, I think that what we're talking about on the show is having an impact around the world. People are standing <laughs> up; they're not going to take
1: That's it right. anymore. They're not going to take That's it. Right. They're fighting back. I mean, humanity has to win the war against nature, and we're going to do it like that—one person at a time, standing up.
4: Yeah, this isn't just for fun, guys. This is important stuff. You can take to the woods.
0: Are we going to give? Are we going uh, to give this next one to Ashbrook? I, I yeah, see
4: let's yeah, let's do it.
0: Yeah, Ashbrook. Um, okay, this is uh, titled
3: "Whispering Sweet Nothings" from program listener. Fellas, day one listener, first-time reviewer, you all bring so much joy to my life for the couple hours per week you give us. There is no one doing more for the Republican Party than this program.
4: Oh, that's nice. Oh, fantastic.
3: I always thought I was a crazy one. But you guys help remind me that the libs are the ones with the brain worms. That's right. Duncan, congrats on the baby. Thank you. Holmes, I saw you on special report tonight. And you have the best hair jeans. I'll <laughs> <laughs> take it, Smug. You turned me into a conservative and a normal person.
4: What?
1: What a compliment, Ashbrook. <laughs>
0: this is why. I, this is why
3: I wanted to give I it see to you. Now, you're a co-host, in my opinion. Who <laughs> Sincerely, a Republican from one of the very blue counties in the great state of Southern
4: Illinois. Oh, uh, well, wonderful review. Yeah. That's a, a great wonderful one. Smug. You want this last one?
1: Sure, I'll, I'll give this one too. May 26th podcast. This is from S Regs. It says, just when I think there's no way you can one up your fantastic podcast, you guys do. I usually listen twice. Today's interview with Jonathan was so insightful and honestly, incredibly heartwarming. I will listen to this one probably every day until your next edition on Tuesday. Oh, that's yeah, so yeah,
4: great, man. We just love them. That was a really good We've interview. We've great guest. It was know? a good interview. And
0: it's nice to get some folks in who, you know, aren't politicians and stuff. And I, I hope we get a chance to do more of that. And obviously, we got Selena Zito in now. Yeah, we're spreading our wings we're spreading a little out. bit. We're doing right? more.
4: You're not just going to hear from politicians, although there are an important number of up-and-coming politicians that we have to have on. But this guy, like Jonathan Isaac, NBA star, right? I mean, yeah. he's sixth overall pick in the draft. He takes an incredibly courageous stand, literally, uh, against the narratives and the conventional wisdom in the NBA, and there's not enough recognition of that. Right. right. We're right. all talking about Colin Kaepernick <clears throat> six years after the guy takes a knee for the national anthem, knowing that that, like, yes, the NFL itself was not going to be super pleased with that, but the market forces of wokeness in corporate America rewarded him handsomely, right? right? This guy had all the other problems.
0: Well, and we've, I think we're at a period of time and we've talked about this a lot in the program where like, you know, between Hollywood and corporate, you know, media and now corporations, they're sort of in collusion against, conservative values in this country and so like having somebody with that sort of platform be out there in public i think is a huge public service and like we need to be in that cultural space which is what i think like what daily wire is doing with his book and everything
3: is great it's a huge public service by the the way colin kaepernick has spent just as much time on an nfl football field as any of the guys sitting in this room for the last few years (laughs) jonathan isaac is actually a
4: player Yeah. yeah A, a good player at that I, I, I wish him well in his recovery from a knee injury and hope he has a great season I'm, I know I'm rooting for him uh all right so let's get into the news this is I think so hilarious because t- as is typical with listeners of the variety program the stuff that we talk about for the better part of the year all of a sudden uh the mainstream media becomes awake and away and aware of right right and they they have now come to the conclusion that in fact, The Biden White House does have a problem (laughs) that they are not, in fact, on very solid footing. Oh, no. Yeah. And NBC News of all places. (laughs) You know, it's getting bad when it's at NBC and you're a liberal. Because, look, when you're around this business long enough, you know that when certain things come out in certain publications, it's basically a memo to themselves that they can't say in public. Right. Right. So, like, if you get... For example, a list of talking points in the Politico playbook. You know, it's Democrats not having very good luck talking to each other, so they just need to print it somewhere so everybody can read it.
0: Right. right? Dem Dem Polster sounds the alarm. Yeah. Right. Exa- perfect, perfect example. Perfect example yeah. of that.
4: <laughs> if something shows up in NBC News, it's like, no, fellow Democrats. Yes. We actually do have a big problem. Right. So here comes a story called "Inside a Biden White House Adrift." <laughs> uh this is an amazing we got to go through most of it because it's so good let me just read the the um, the lead here faced with a worsening political predicament president joe biden is pressing aides for a more compelling message and a sharper strategy while bristling at how they've tried to stifle the plain speaking persona that has long been one of his most uh, potent assets um, okay um, I'm, I'm going There's a lot to
1: take apart just yeah, right there. Right I'm going
0: I'm going to challenge some of that. His most potent assets the guy fumbling over his fucking words
1: every 2 minutes. <laughs> well here's the thing is I think they helped by saying that that's long been one of his most potent assets. So like 40 50 40 years, years ago when right. he when he was
0: lucid. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Also the way that this sentence is constructed and and, and you'll notice this dear listener if you listen or you read a lot of political journalism when the story is about a democrat the world is happening to Joe Biden. Yeah. Yeah. He's not the oh, yeah. president of the United States. No, he's he no has, agency. He has no agency over uh-uh. over the terms of this quote unquote worsening political predic- predicament, which of course I agree with, but it's the guy's fucking fault. Right. Yeah. He's the president of the United States. <laughs> okay? He's not faced with it. He fucking caused it. But,
4: but Michael, he's being underserved. <laughs> it's
0: just unbelievable. And he's pressing
4: AIDS for God. a more compelling message. Being
0: a Democrat must be so fucking fun. Ashbrook. Oh, it's so easy. easy <laughs> easiest,
3: Democrat press secretary's easiest job in town. We often <laughs> say this. But one thing that listeners cannot see because we're an audio medium is this incredible photo that accompanies this story. <laughs> and the often unsung photo editor at every news outlet usually picks something good. In this case, they picked something great. And it's a picture of Ron Klain walking by himself in a mask, a downcast, Look on his face,
1: it's a real. Out, it's outside alone, a real but slovenly. Wearing a mask, yeah. His shirts, I like half tucked, looking like man. Yeah, <laughs> I better it. get back on Twitter to feel good. It, this it awesome. it it looks life
4: like- has happened to Ron Klein here. I yeah. tell you that much.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it is an audio medium. If I had to compare it to something, it would be the Michael Sarah GIF, where he's carrying the backpack from Arrested Development, and he's like falling as he enters <laughs> the, the room. <laughs> That's the one. Like he's just like so overwhelmed.
4: <laughs> so let me go to the next one. Crises have piled up in ways that have at times made the Biden White House look flat-footed. Record inflation, high gas prices, a rise in COVID case numbers, and now a Texas school massacre that is one more horrific reminder that he has been unable to get Congress to pass legislation to curb gun violence. All right, let's take the last part out of this, right? We can address this separately, the, the gun issue. The first bunch of these record inflation high gas prices a rise in covid case numbers to your point michael it's his fucking fault right it is not the this is crises have piled up oh yeah oh they sure have they have definitely piled who's doing the stacking and <laughs> recording of that one
1: and the thing is that like so many crises have have piled up there are major ones that i mean i think voters need to be reminded of like for example, the Afghanistan withdrawal, which was an abject disaster, cost American service members their lives, embarrassed the country, has opened us up to attacks on every front, made America look weak, and that's just like, that isn't even recent memory for folks. We've had like five crises in the past week.
4: And not only not only that but but to your point about the Afghanistan issue it also opened the door to Putin in Ukraine yeah threatened Xi with Taiwan Right, has Iran back in the nuclear business like all of that stuff is somehow forgotten how about the border crisis yeah huh that's not going away we just talk about that almost every week crime pretty much every family you talk about crime is one or two on their list
3: all of this stuff stacking up and what is the most what is the strongest indictment the mainstream media can come up with at times made them look flat footed. <laughs> Put
1: him in a body bag, Johnny.
3: <laughs>
0: I mean that I mean that Give is me a that's just, just unreal. It's kid unreal. gloves, dude. The bar is so low for Democrats.
4: Democrat leaders are at a loss about how he can revive his prospects in November when midterm elections may cost his party control of Congress. Again, this
1: is this is the hot dog being we're like, we're all trying to find the guy responsible. They're like What's our message going to be? Everything we wanted and we did actually turned out to be awful. Like <laughs> we were like, uh, uh, there's this video that just got out of, of Biden being asked about, did you know this baby formula oh, yeah. situation would get so bad? And he said, uh, yeah, CEOs uh, related that it would be that bad. And they're like, well, didn't you, didn't you get that? message like did not sink in he was like well it did for the ceos when they told me but it didn't sink in for me like (laughs) (laughs) i mean i guess at least he's honest that he's like my brain doesn't work properly and i don't process well the
4: best part that actually shouldn't go unnoted on the program here is because that was a press he did an event with the ceos of the baby formula manufacturer Uh and The primary question that he had was to the CEOs about whether you knew you were going to have a real shortage if we closed one of these plants down. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. We told everybody we could talk to that we're going to have this problem. Unsaid in all this is that it's Biden's FDA that closed the damn thing down. Right aren't shouldn't they be the foremost experts in this no,
3: no 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 this is one of those times they were caught flat-footed <laughs> oh yes it's flat-footed again
4: flat the very flat feet over <laughs> the, the bind it's sort of like no fault that, of their own just genetics they're flat feet is that a club foot what's a flat it's like when you know no arch yeah i think that's it is that like yeah you have you're no not arch able
1: to be very agile or go fast but is it yeah. is
4: it do we call it a club foot or is that something i think that that foot is different it's different. maybe a, a foot without toes or well, something.
1: I, I think it's just like a, a, like a more of a deformity than just like. I think flat footed is basically you're just completely unable to, to to respond in in terms of like movement. Yeah, like it, like it hinders your movement.
4: Not a very good first step anyway. Yeah, no. they're
1: like, hey, it's tough. You know, they're flat footed. That's the best they get.
4: Speculation is churning that the Biden that Biden could shake up the West Wing staff, <clears throat> although. That's not about to happen right away. Multiple people close to the White House have said that they've heard that Ron Klain will depart at some point after the midterms, and one has heard him discuss leaving. Should Klain go, a potential successor Anita Dunn. Oh my god. It never changes, no. guys. It's unbelievable. This is the most incredible thing about Democratic politics. That's going
0: to sh- that's going to shake things up.
4: It's always the same. It's always the same. It's like plug and play, plug and play. They're literally the same five aides for every Democratic administration. Like if Anita Dunn doesn't work out, they'll get Podesta back off the bench. It's incredible.
3: It's it's formulaic it's like the 90s sitcom you uh-huh. have you have you have defined roles for everybody on the show and it's just a different person that they plug into the program <laughs> it's just it's somebody's new program and you know we've got we actually have some audio of this exchange you guys were talking about with Biden and the and the funos yeah, yeah Do you guys it. want to hear that yes Absolutely. I do.
4: What, what what I mean, I mean wait, hold on first of all I didn't know if he was going to make it through
0: that is that some of the plain speaking that NBC news says is one of his most potent assets
4: is that is that his most potent asset that I mean, yikes he needs an adrenaline shot right? I, that was like very difficult but the i you know look the the uptake is nobody could have anticipated that a third of the baby formula that's produced at this one place uh, would not be available when his own FDA shut this thing down, uh-huh. right? I mean, well, actually, the CEOs told them that this would be the problem. But my problem is not even that. Like, could you sort of have a miscommunication between corporate America and government? Maybe. The FDA is the one that shut it down. Right. They're the ones that proactively made the decision to shut it down without any plan, and like two months later, throw up their hands and like, yeah. oh my god, we have a baby shorty, Wait, <laughs> baby formula really shorty. Uh,
0: who's in charge of the FDA? Yeah,
4: that's a really good question. It's it's Joe Biden. It's just oh, this, okay. it's this guy that
0: the world keeps happening. It keeps to. happening. To it's him. just uh, not his fault, you know. <laughs> what
4: can he do? He's only the president. It's just plain speaking,
0: <laughs> just caught flat footed at times,
4: and then this is this is a perfect little addendum to the Anita Dunn piece that we were just talking yeah. about. Dunn began working at the White House at the start of the term, uh, then left and returned in early May at Biden's specific request. No woman or person of color has ever been uh, the White House chief of staff since the position was created in World War II. Well, yeah, okay, that helps. <laughs> that's, oh. It seemed to be important to get somebody competent who could get us through all
0: of the out of all these crises. But I, I'm right. glad we're going to check some more boxes.
4: We got to check a few boxes. We're in a country in free fall. So let's make right. sure diversity is <laughs> our priority here. It's just unbelievable. Amid a rolling series of calamities, Biden's feeling lately is that he just can't catch a break. Uh. See, this
0: is it. (laughs) Fucking nail! I nailed it at the top. What can I say? (laughs) Biden is frustrated.
4: If it's not one thing, it's another. (laughs) poor Joe. Poor guy. (laughs) Poor president. Oh my! So he starts his entire term with a completely partisan agenda, yeah. calling Republicans Jim Crow 2.0. You're, you're telling me he didn't heal the
0: nation? I, and- <laughs> now he's fucking Eeyore in the West Wing, complaining about how nothing's fair to
4: him. It's,
1: it's, it's worse than Jim Crow's Jim Eagle.
4: Oh yeah, Jimmy, Jim Eagle. Jim Eagle. Biden is annoyed that he wasn't alerted sooner about the baby formula shortage. <laughs> And he got his first briefing in the past month, even though the crisis had been long in the making. Um, Okay. Uh, Again, it's his own administration that did this. The FDA did this. Did this. Baby form. Did somebody anywhere in the bowels of the shit bureaucracy that is the Biden administration think that perhaps taking more than half of the baby formula off the shelves in America could present a problem at some point. And
1: the, and the real beauty of it is, is then they like are like Congress needs to vote for this bill to give more money to right. the FDA to give out his like salary and bonus salary and this. bonuses. Right. So like, listen, good job, guys. We have a crisis. We got to rush this money to the FDA. It's unreal. <laughs> and they're like, how is this happening to me?
4: <laughs> so his nominee to head the Food and Drug Association uh, administration. Dr. Robert Califf told Congress last week that the agency was sluggish and that it made suboptimal decisions oh. as parents hunted for formula on empty store shelves. Wow. Oh.
0: Suboptimal.
4: Suboptimal. That's one way of putting it. Yeah, that's suboptimal, yeah. right? You can't feed babies in this country. That's I'm gonna suboptimal.
0: Tr- I'm going to try selling that to my wife. <laughs>
4: it's suboptimal decision making. Yeah. Yeah, this weekend I'm going to try to make a bunch of suboptimal decisions <laughs> and see see how that pans out for me. Uh, beyond policy, Biden is unhappy about a pattern that has developed inside the West Wing. This is my favorite, guys. Mm-hmm, this is mm-hmm. this is the best. That's that's fantastic. He makes a clear and succinct statement, only to have aides rush to explain that he actually meant something else. The so-called cleanup campaign he has told advisors undermines him and smothers the authenticity that fueled his rise.
3: Smothers the authenticity that fueled his rise. Like, He's, There's he's, he's, nothing more authentic than a 40-year politician. <laughs>
4: I mean, give me a break like he's an this? outsider. But remember, <laughs> I think what he's talking about, I believe what he's talking about here is the bracket man getting involved in the speech in Warsaw where he said Putin... Needed to needed to be dethroned. Essentially, he cannot remain in power. He cannot remain in power was right. the question. Right. So, so like that pronouncement by a foreign leader right. is 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 unprecedented. Yes. Right. It basically means you're for regime change in one of the more powerful countries of this world, which is akin to a declaration of war. Right. Right. I mean, so anybody who's done any sort of foreign policy at all, even if you felt that way, you know that you don't travel abroad. And say that kind of thing unless you mean it, unless you really mean it. And what the administration evidently decided was he didn't mean it because then they rushed the bracket man everybody else to change what it is that he meant. Now, he did the same thing when he went to Korea. Right. Yeah. And he was talking about Taiwan and he would defend them militarily if he needed to, which apparently unbeknownst to me was not the policy of this administration. I felt like that was always kind of the unspoken inference that the United States have always had.
0: Yeah, but it's one thing to have that inference. as It's another thing to declare it on foreign soil.
4: In Korea. In Korea. Right? Yeah. Which is like in Stone the backyard. Throw. Yeah. Right. But no, nope, bracket man. But it's that authenticity, guys. I mean, I think this is a guy with brain
0: rot who's just <laughs> lashing out, you know, <laughs> in the twilight of his life. He can't control what he says. And so he's lashing out. What I don't understand is, is how... You know, a guy who's been doing this for forty years doesn't understand the implications of saying things like that on foreign soil. Did I, he forget? Yeah, because <sighs> it's a big—it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's not about authenticity. It's about the foreign policy in the United States of America.
1: Right. <laughs> if, 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 if we could be completely honest, like I, I've lost—I mean, all Americans, I feel to a certain extent, have lost faith in institutions. This is just such a slap in the face of that because any sane person can see. You know, this guy, you can't trust him around, like, you know, he, he, himself, like sharp objects. Like, I will not trust this guy around sharp objects he's going to hurt himself. He, like, what, he, he fell in the bathtub and kicked the dog or something? Like, this guy clearly can't take of, oh. care of himself, let alone... The entire country. No, like he, I, we everyone knows this. If it, he's
3: if he's sucking on a Worthers, you want somebody watching <laughs> <it>. Exactly. <laughs> <That's right>.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> like
3: somebody better know the
1: Heimlich maneuver. Joe just had a Werthers. Oh Werthers.
0: Ah <laughs> oh, classic. What, like, what, what what I what I don't understand I think what's interesting about this part of the article is like who's who does this serve? You know? Like like who's let,
4: let Joe be Joe. It's a version of Lilegis. What Trump I'm saying is Trump's who is, is
0: is it Anita Dunn? is like who's who is it who's telling the reporter this trying to Position sort of a reset. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? No, no, no.
3: You you you've got to back up to the line. No woman or person of color has ever right. been the White House chief of staff since the position was created. That, that doesn't come out of nowhere. This isn't this isn't an Anita Dunn campaign and, and
1: piece. Here, and which here's is the a thing, pamphlet for to, her to kind of turn the page. Now that she's coming back, and it was her group. Remember that memo that came out about how like, Dems, you need to use these messaging words, not these messaging words. Right. Yeah. Which came from her group right before she comes back to the White House. It's it's. Absurd, yeah. absurd. So I, I think that's a great observation. She, her hand must definitely be in on this. This and, is this and, is a and campaign. nobody's
4: listening, so it's a campaign. It starts with NBC. We got to and it'll be in the New York Times here shortly.
3: Well, she's 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 slow rolling it so that she can be the heir apparent after disaster in November. Yeah, look,
0: look, Ron Klain stifles some of Biden's best instincts. You know, it's too controlled. There's too many junior staff who are trying to rewrite stuff that the president's saying. You know, you got to shoot from the hip, like on the campaign, Joe. Let me come in. She's campaigning
4: on a platform of firing bracket man. Yeah. Which I think is dangerous territory for this particular president. But now the Democratic troops are starting to turn on him a little bit. Listen to this. Democratic lawmakers are sparring amongst themselves and blaming the White House for their dim prospects in November. Wow, Dems in disarray. Representative Stephanie Murphy, Democrat (laughs) from Florida, said the White House has failed to put forward what she called it, quote, intellectually honest end quote plan to combat inflation. Well, no shit. Yeah. I mean, at some level, look, I don't feel a bit bad for any of these people because they'd be in with the whole Biden agenda, lock, stock and barrel. If the American people were buying it, like they're just partisan partisans, but they are in a situation where nobody's buying anything. Right. And then when inflation happens, they first say it's transitory, right? Smug. Exactly. First, first they say it's not happening.
1: Then they say it's transitory. Then they say it's good. (laughs) And now they're caught flat-footed. <laughs> and now it's <laughs> yeah.
0: flat-footed and this world has happened to them. Well, if, and if you if you ever turn on MSNBC, what you'll see is that uh, they don't really even call it inflation. They only call it price gouging. Oh,
4: you're you kidding. see what I'm saying? It is it's, wild. It's like
0: now they've, they've turned it into actually it is happening and it's actually the corporations that are doing <laughs> it. It's not the policy So what ended up
1: happening, the actual thing of what happened is that all the corporations, you know, grocery stores, <laughs> gas stations... Restaurants, mom and pop shops, mom and pop shops, they all had their meeting and, and they're, they're like, like "Prices up. Let's, okay, everybody, let's, let's gouge, it. let's gouge people. Like, hey, guys,
4: time. we got a Democrat, we got an unsuspecting Democrat, let's gouge your shit out of people. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's exactly what, like that must be what happened.
4: Yeah, so, so, but listen, a burden, uh, it, this at this point, she's talking about inflation, a burden that ranks among Americans' first economic concerns. Polling indicates, well, no kidding. So now you've seen this week the administration for the very first time act like they're going to do something about this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They pretend they talk a lot about like, like you said, corporations that are doing this to them. Right. As if every American is unable to do simple math and simple, like when you flooded trillions of dollars into the American marketplace and prices go up. You're like, what? Hot dog meme. The the
0: entire the entire economy is colluding against poor Joe Biden. That's what's happening. That's what they want you to believe.
1: This line had me, like, just losing my mind. It says here that uh, um, Biden has vented to AIDS about not getting credit from Americans or the news media for actions he believes have helped the country, particularly on the economy. The president has also told AIDS... He doesn't think enough Democrats go on television to... defend. <laughs> <Like, laughs>
3: pick any channel. Oh, it's all any Democrats channel. on television. Like, all the are time. Are you
4: serious, dude? If you can find a Republican, it's a former one that yeah. just trashes the shit out of their party. Also, I thought it was Donald Trump who watched too much television. That's the thing that gets me, right? This is really uh, yeah, a funny a part point. of the article. This is. It's, we went through four years of everybody talking about how irresponsible it was yeah. that President Trump watched cable news and... Yeah. and and commented on what people were saying about his administration. Yeah, oh,
0: he's too thin-skinned, yada, yada, yada.
4: Well, I mean, it appears that's what Biden is that's doing. That's exactly
0: what Joe Biden's doing every day.
4: <laughs> he's now lower than Trump, and he's really twisted about it, <laughs> another person close to the White House said. It's
1: like, here's the thing. It's like, so So Trump basically had every media organization, every celebrity on earth attacking him 24-7, right? Right. Yeah. No matter what he did, they would attack him in it and like pretty much everything he said was right. Every policy he put in place led to unprecedented prosperity across America. This guy, Joe Biden, has the entire journalist, you know, industrial complex. Every celebrity. He has a boy band even rolling up to help him out. And and his 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 favorabilities are still worse. Than Trump's. Like, that is incredible. That's how dire things are.
4: (laughs) So this is my favorite. They're trying to fix this problem, right? So here's one idea. One of Biden's prescriptions for his political troubles at the start of the new year was to travel outside Washington
3: more. (laughs) Ah, yes. Circumvent the traditional Beltway media. Uh,
4: Oh, yes. The 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 (laughs) very— The journalists are helping me out. I got to go straight to yeah. the people. Yeah, these, these skeptical
3: journalists
4: full of cynicism.
3: I'm going straight to the regional papers. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, there aren't any regional papers. <laughs> You've destroyed them too.
4: So here, here's what's happened, though. As he's gotten out in the country, he's also gotten an earful from Democrats about what this his administration is or isn't doing. Quote, people confront him said the top democratic donor, <laughs> who has witnessed such conversations at fundraisers. Quote, all he's hearing is why can't you get anything done?
3: <laughs> that's gotta be so awesome. And these these are picked audiences. Nobody's getting in Seriously. to confront him that's not like a doesn't know somebody that knows somebody. Well they're, even they are
1: committed people. They've already burned their money for the chat the check. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> If you've got donors coming up asking you why you can't do anything and they're writing you checks, things are bad. Things are not good. <laughs> I, I got to be honest with you. This is
3: the lead of the story. And because Democrats control the media, it's at the bottom. Yeah.
4: I yeah. mean,
0: this should be the top.
4: It, it, well, it's, all right. So it's not, about three quarters of Americans believe the country is on the wrong track, according to a recent NBC <sighs> News poll. Wow. Only the fifth time in the last 34 years that so many Americans have been dissatisfied with the nation's direction, uh, with good reason. As we've just discussed, there's way too many issues. But here's the thing. The campaign continues, right? It's not just NBC. The guy also got the, Na- the Washington Post that gets into it. That says the White House scrambles on inflation after Biden complains to AIDS. Notice the common thema- thematic right. of this. It's like Biden just picked up a paper on his desk and he's like, why did nobody
0: tell me about this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like Biden isn't fucking responsible.
3: It's just an inc- it's incredible. Well, it's not only does it abso- it's in a their thing mind, of It absolves him of responsibility, but it also makes him appear in charge. Right, but like it's he's it's demanding like demanding. I'm his retaking.
4: Step. I haven't had my hand on the wheel, yes. and now I'm retaking. Yeah, control. now let go,
0: let 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 the adult step in, and I'm going to handle this now, guys. <laughs> you <laughs> know, it's I mean, I'm really curious.
1: I want to see the Anita done approach, like unleash Joe Biden. It's basically just going to be like a silver alert. Like he's, gonna be, he's in a robe and slippers wandering. We've only
3: Joe Biden. This is the part where we put in the audio board. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up.
4: <laughs> so, but, but look, this is what they're doing. Right. We just talked about all their concern. This is whether White House launched a new push on Tuesday to contain the political damage caused by inflation after President Biden complained for weeks to aides that his administration was not doing enough publicly to explain the fastest price increases in roughly four decades. And
1: so this to me, this is so important and this is so infuriating. So it says, what is their priority? The White House launched a new push Tuesday to contain the political damage. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The push from the White House is to contain the political damage, Th- not the year and a half that Americans have been suffering right. under high prices. They don't care everything. Right. You have a new all-time high of of, of median income versus housing costs which means that you're getting a lot less for your money, and people are out there struggling. And they've been lying to the public when they when they put out this cute little tweet being like, your 4th of July is going to be cheaper this year. They've said it's that it doesn't exist. They've said it's transitory. All this suffering that Americans have had, whether it's not being able to get baby formula, whether it's gas prices, that every single day for basically the past month, every single day, gas has been more expensive. Right, yeah. All that has meant nothing. Because all that matters to them, they want to contain the political damage.
0: Alleviating alleviating the hardship that the American people are, are suffering through, that doesn't matter. But like Joe Biden complains they're not doing enough. And suddenly they move. If
1: the if the midterms weren't coming up, they would they would continue to not right. give a damn. Right, they would not care. Like, what's the point of being elected? What's the point of being in office if you don't if do you anything don't for people? If you don't yeah. care about the people,
4: why do you want their votes? Well, have you met the neo neoliberal? That's the elite? thing. Like, that's that's, the that's thing. what they are. That's their right? whole thing. That's their whole thing. These are the people that they actually don't give a shit, or at least they don't beyond Brooklyn and a few enclaves outside of Georgetown. But that's the thing. So so I, what What strikes me about all of this is that, like, he's now on to this, right? Like, what do they raise the price of Jell-O at the White House mess? Like, I, is I, it, I wait a minute. <laughs> what, what was the clue? Right. I mean, we were talking about inflation. We've been talking about inflation a year, for, over for a year, year,
0: for over a year. Yeah. And now we're writing these stories about how Joe Biden's he's on the case.
4: I mean, if he listened to the Ruthless Variety program, he'd have more of an idea right. than his own economic advisors. But have it it's halfway.
0: back to Smug's point. It's only because of the political damage in the midterms. We're, we're, they're now going to retcon um, the whole history of inflation. The media is going to retcon this whole thing and be like, Biden sprung to action. Yeah. And he's, and he's, he's changing
4: things. Well, here's a tell. On Tuesday, the administration's top economic officials fanned across cable news, remember that was a priority, and appeared in the White House uh, press briefing room to underscore their efforts to fight price increases. <laughs> Here's, this is from the article while not announcing any new measures to combat <laughs> inflation. No? How, do you, how do you write this story when it's not a story? <laughs> the White House insisted the American economy is in strong position <laughs> for the Federal Reserve to tame high prices because high growth and low unemployment <laughs> create a buffer against future interest rates. So heights.
1: here's, a, here's a, a somewhat related semi-aside, something that I uh, caught my eye when I was reading the journal this morning. And uh, that you never like to see this, especially the folks who are old enough to get deja vu from this. It said that um, mortgage-backed uh, securities, mortgage bonds, oh, no. uh, people Come are starting to buy into them. No, Because here's the thing is interest rates are spiking, right, which is really bad for, for mortgages. So uh, uh, for, for, for a lot of folks who don't really know how bonds work, it's kind of like the inverse of how you think a stock would work. Where, okay, if a lot of people want to buy a bond, they don't have to have as much yield because there's demand for it. They're like, why do we need to pay out more? High of a percent, if if everyone wants this, well, a lot of folks are figuring with interest rates on houses going up, people aren't going to want the bonds, so let's buy the bonds, because then you know the demand's going, you know, you're going to get the yield. This is like a disaster cooking all over again.
4: <laughs> this is the stuff that's happening behind the scenes while this guy is trying to figure out the price of Jello at the White House mess. Yeah, <laughs> and and
1: I've been watching a, a, a lot of the data out there. On you look at, uh, you, you can. Uh, f- the government has this website called Fred, which is all the data that the Federal Reserve puts out. You see it for yourself, which is great because it's unfiltered. You're not getting a journalist telling you what to think about it. You can see every bit of data out there for yourselves. Uh, the point that I brought up earlier, of where the the median household income is getting stretched so thin compared to the cost yeah. of housing, compared to the cost of gas, fuel, everything, that's just an absolute disaster. Absolute disaster. That's
4: well, if you have if you have a, you have a ser- serious economic downturn. And look I don't know if this looks anything like 08 because it was a very different set of circumstances mm-hmm. in in 08. This will be totally different. But but the the issue is when you have uh, unemployment and and wage decreases in amongst all of that of prices and everything else you create a problem you cannot fix with liquidity. You cannot fix by like exactly rushing economic tools into the marketplace. Like the reason 08 worked was because you could because they hadn't exhausted the
1: bazooka was never used
4: the bazooka was never used these guys have been pulling the trigger on the bazooka for two and a half years ever since right yeah maybe since 08 honestly in some form of the fed certainly has exactly
1: exactly it was unprecedented when the fed did it in 08 which is why it worked so effectively but now it's become just like a day-to-day thing with the fed and that's led to a lot of these problems
4: like your government can't help you here and it's these guys' fault because they've exhausted every tool to try to help They've they've made the problem demonstrably worse, and in many cases created the problem. Like this next story about gas prices. Mm-hmm. The national average of price of a gallon of gas is four sixty two on Monday. It's a lot higher than that in a whole bunch of communities around this country, and it is record gas prices right as the summer travel season starts. A yeah. buddy
3: of mine texted eight dollars in California.
4: Eight bucks. <laughs> yeah,
3: Can you believe that? I mean, California's got its own set of problems. But, I mean, $8 for a gallon of gas, it's just unbelievable.
4: But, again, as we've talked about with gas prices in particular, pain is the point with That's these people.
1: It. That's it. This is this is their agenda, their Green New Deal. And, again, they want to have the power to be like, government, please stop punishing me. I'll be good.
4: <laughs> totally. So, meanwhile, American people are not buying this at all. The economic pessimism uh, is basically at an all-time high. Gallup's economic confidence index measured minus 45 in May oh, mm. my god! I mean look everybody just feels terrible about what's going on in this country and they're trying to figure out how to message it that's well, by the way that's what happens they're trying in, to message
1: in, the non-existent plan like right. hey guys we have a plan I mean we don't but everything is okay it's getting better <laughs>
4: I mean, 56% of Americans said they can't afford to go on vacation this year because of inflation. To your point, Smug, like the 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 margins here for your average family are becoming non-existent.
1: And the, and, and the way that's been bubbling out, other data you look at. So uh, Target recently had awful quarterly earnings because they're sitting on a boatload of inventory. Unprecedented. The highest inventory they've had versus the percent that they're able to actually sell. They're, that's the widest gap they've ever had in their history. Target. Tar- when Target starts struggling— Walmart's got an inventory problem, not as bad. You're seeing across the country stores like uh, Home Depot, they're putting durable goods, which is also measured statistically by economists, like you know your your washers, your dryers, your stoves. They're all, the prices on all that is getting slashed because they're sitting on this large inventory. At the same time, American households are struggling and can't afford anything. I mean, this is like the, the disaster that, that's ahead is going to be awful. Yeah, no, awful.
3: no summer vacation. Talk about a real kick in the pants. You've been locked in because of the pandemic for the last two years, and now all of a sudden things are opening up and you have a chance to go on vacation. You can't even afford it.
4: <sighs> it's just, it's, a, it's terrible. The one profession that apparently has not been hit hard by this economic downturn, however, lifeguards. Did you guys know this? No. No. There's a story, and again, this is like right to McDaniel being probably the most well-sourced individual. Yeah, the
1: guy must read so much. Like, he reads everything. I don't Every know where he
4: finds thing. this stuff. This is from some Substack. Openthebooks.substack.com. I mean, I don't even know where you find this thing, but we got it here in the Variety Program for you. Top paid LA lifeguards earned up to $510,000 in 2021.
3: Yeah. You gotta be kidding. Isn't isn't that like a is that a government job?
1: I think it's a municipal one, municipal local government the, job. The L.A. is paying these people.
4: This is uh, you've talked about this a lot, Duncan. Yes. About how California and their public employees. Oh
0: my God! If you look at the unfunded liability, this
4: is why Calpers is
1: chasing yield.
4: They're like dude, playing dice games.
1: Like, come on!
0: That state is, is going is to implode. If you look at their balance sheet, it's it makes horrific. no sense.
4: It makes no sense. So, all right, listen to that. Mm-hmm. Who knew that LA lifeguards who work in the sun, ocean, surf, and golden sands of California could reap such unbelievable financial rewards? Well, it's time we put up Baywatch to the paywatch. In 2019, we found that top paid lifeguards made up to $392,000. Unfortunately, today, pay and benefits are even more lucrative. Daniel Doug- Douglas. Was the most highly paid and earned $510,000, an increase uh, from $442,000. Hold on, 2020.
0: He Wait, earned $442,000 in 2020 when we had a global pandemic and the beaches were the closed. Beach. The beaches were closed. They were literally like putting people in handcuffs for surfing by themselves.
1: I had to, I, I Googled this just now. Uh, average American surgeon salary. The average surgeon in America made a median salary of 208000 So he's making over twice a surgeon. <laughs>
4: for sitting in a chair. I mean, getting a tan. <laughs> getting a tan. Maybe fishing one kid out of the riptide every once in a while.
1: So here's the thing. is It might be different for beach lifeguards. Friend of the program, Luke Thompson. I was on a road trip with him. And uh, we were we were discussing what's the worst job you've ever had. Uh, I, I, think, I think mine... It may have been when I was a, a door guy at a bar and I had to clean the bathrooms, but his was like lifeguard, and I was like, "Dude, bullshit! Like that has to be it's the unscriced. greatest job." Thompson like, was a lifeguard. Thompson was a lifeguard, so like a pool pool lifeguard or a beach lifeguard. So that's why I think there might be a difference. See, pool, so he was a pool lifeguard, problem. and I was like, oh. "That still had to had to own, mm-hmm. dude." Like you know, it's just in my mind, I was like, "Okay, it's just broads and bikinis having a great time, the sun and fun." <laughs> and he was like, "No," he was like, "The job of a pool lifeguard is kids are gonna like." Some kid's going to, like, shit in the pool. Yeah. Some kid's going to get a bloody nose. And he was like, this one day, this kid, like, who had no business jumping off the, like, diving board, like, jumps, hits it wrong, hits his nose on it. Oh. And is, like, bleeding everywhere. The kid's okay. So he takes this kid to the bathroom to to clean him up with his, with his bloody nose. And then the kid just, like, sneezes. Oh. And he's like, half the bathroom, it looked like a gunshot. <laughs> went, like, oh. And then he's got to clean it up. He's got to put on these like little surgical gloves and clean up this kid's snot and blood off the <laughs> wall. I was like, "All right, you win. That job definitely sucks." But for five hundred grand, but and at the beach. So I, I'm guessing beach lifeguard has to be totally no. Different. Nobody cares if you no poop in dropped, the ocean. Yeah, nobody. <laughs> <dropping, laughs> no one's like dropping off their. Sound like a man who has experience
0: with that. Just,
1: just, no one notices that. Pro tip: say an official swim by, and it's like a Snickers bar. <laughs>
4: Have you dropped a floater in the ocean? No.
1: I think no. you have. Wow. No. He
4: turned he turned on that story real quick. No, no, no. I know a couple of my boys in the lakes of Minnesota have done that Really? Before. Yeah, I know. It's a big bet when you're around people because the bet is whether or not it floats or sinks. That <laughs> is correct. Right? And if it if it floats, you got a problem. Yeah, that is <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> <yeah, that's... laughs> Anyway, maybe it's a little bit worse than the job of Baywatch appeared to be, but- 500 grand fellas that this And a and I got to say Beach
1: beach lifeguards got to be different. I mean, it's literally just getting a tan. Like for, yeah. to in my mind, you know, I haven't seen statistics on how often there are problems, but most of the time you're tanning out there dude. It seems you're like a great you got time, yeah. half a mil, you're in
4: LA. I mean, it seems like it would it should work. All right, so the last piece of news here that we have to cover because this is serious stuff. I laughed so hard on Wednesday morning when I opened up Playbook, Politico Playbook. We were talking about how it's basically just like dem talking points now. This was hysterical. They had a banner piece, a banner piece talking about... (laughs) I don't even know how to begin to describe. So election day operations are something that both parties do. And what it is, it consists of is you have local party leaders that work with attorneys and volunteers to man precincts to make sure that there's no fraud that's going
0: on. Right? But nobody has there's no issue with a ballot misprint or a machine that stops working. There's a whole host of things that you want to have somebody from the campaign as a representative there in
4: person to be able to call and say, Hey, we got a problem in this precinct. And it never it never boils down to like I'm challenging this person and I'm gonna make a huge deal out of it. You're looking for patterns of problems, like ballots that were disqualified that somehow end up in the in the mix with the rest of them. Right? There there are Believe it or not, despite the media's best efforts to convince us otherwise, there are mistakes made right. on election day. And that's why those people are in place and why attorneys are there. And every election since the beginning of time has undergone some amount of litigation to sort those right. it's, discrepancies It's the out. most
1: standard practice that the most even incompetent campaigns know is like, OK, if the race gets close, you send the lawyers to like the biggest poll sites just to keep an eye on. Like that's the most standard of standard practices. Right. But
3: you would never know that. By the way, that Politico framed it this
4: morning. So Politico and one of I, I don't know if she made this year's field, but Heidi Prisbilla was definitely a contender two years ago in Hack Madness. If she didn't make this year's field again, she's got to be in. Well, it, I, go, it goes back to your point, Holmes. The print people—they they, don't
0: get the credit they
4: deserve. No, and I, I'm going to make a reform next year. Yeah. But the print people need to be in the hundred percent. They she need should, to, be the to be in the next. So, so she writes this story, which playbook just like throws up on themselves to try to publicize
3: driving the day
4: driving the day is what they say at the top it's going to be an army quote-unquote tapes reveal gop plan to contest elections placing operatives as poll workers and building a hotline (laughs) to friendly attorneys amongst that are amongst the strategies to be deployed in michigan and other swing states
3: I mean and they and the things they put in bold poll workers lawyers canvassers
0: <laughs> and the, <laughs> I mean, uh, they put they put hotline in quotations like not every major campaign in history has had a number that people can call and report irregularities it's, so, like this is standard campaign work and they've trumped it up into excuse the pun
4: some conspiracy, yeah, conspiracy to steal an election, right? Right, because everything that they view within the Republican Party is through the prism yeah. of like <laughs> January sixth, right. right? That's when
0: history started to these people. That's
4: when history started. But but what I think is so funny about this is there's two things. One, their job is to cover campaigns and elections. Uh-huh. The complete ignorance of election day operations is a, a confounding mystery to me.
3: Well, no, it's just the ignorant. Listen to this line you don't have to be an expert on election administration to understand the havoc this would, this, (laughs) this attempted partisan takeover of vote counting and certifying could create. They're trying to steal what we complained about when only Democrats voted to completely change election rules ahead of 2020. Right. And they're trying to apply it for themselves ahead of 22 because they know they're going to fucking lose. They know they're going to lose. Right.
1: And so also for me, speaking from personal experience, uh, in, in New York City, by law, you're supposed to have at every single poll site, half the poll workers are Republicans, half the poll yes, workers are Democrats. Yes, it's just part of the deal. By law. And there, uh, uh, until I helped out a little bit, there was a situation where we had an election, I believe it was 2010, that it was something like 88% were Democrats at poll sites. 88%, right? Mm-hmm. You had situations where there were poll sites that elderly people were coming to vote in a Republican primary and when they are asked, okay, do you need a Republican ballot or Democrat, they'd say uh, Republican. And the poll worker, since every poll worker there was a Democrat, would say, oh, this is a Democrat poll site. You have to go home, you know, go find an address or whatever to go vote at the Republican poll site. Complete bullshit made up. Do you think this elderly person is going to go and try to vote again? No. <laughs> it was already tough enough for them to, like, walk down to the poll site. They're going to walk home and be like, well, I tried, you of know? Of course. And so, like, for them to put this crazy-ass story out here is just uh, beyond ignorance. Beyond ignorance. I mean, this is just this is just partisanship. It's just blind partisanship that they're
4: pushing. It's it is. It's the most eye opening ignorance in blind partisanship that I've seen to date. And these are people who work at a publication called Politico. Yeah. As if you're supposed. It is assumed if you work at a place like Politico, you know something about the execution of
1: politics. This is why I don't trust the experts.
4: Uh, (laughs) There's many reasons. There's many reasons. All right, fellas. Well, I think we've covered it. it. I suppose it's time to play a game. I think it is. I think it is Thursday,
0: and that means we should play King of the Hill. Mm. Um, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's play King of the Hill. Well, So uh, we have a new champion. Um, Smug, you're our champion. After a, a great uh, battle, uh, Holmes put up with uh, Steve Schmidt. Yeah. Um, and who do you have, Smug? Matthew Dowd. Dowd. All right. Male Pattern is our defending champion. Who are you bringing to the table today
4: Alyssa farah
0: wow. wow wow i think this is a
4: first that's a heater <laughs> it is it's gonna have a lot of reaction i know that
0: okay well let's go ringside
3: ladies and gentlemen your attention please it's time for king of the Hill. In the blue corner, fighting from CNN, Alyssa was a Republican, not sure anymore, Pharaoh. And now, in the red corner, fighting from a closed campaign office in Texas, and current Champion of the world, Matthew Mail Pattern
0: down. Oh, good yeah. stuff! Yeah. Good stuff. Um. Okay. Well, as our champion, uh, Smug has to go first in the first round and the third round. Smug, for our listeners here,
1: is nodding and smiling Dude, as he's reading his phone. A, this is a really good he one. He cannot wait to start. This is great. Okay, Matthew Dowd. If the bipartisan solution in the Senate that emerges to deal with gun violence is hardening schools and increased funding for mental health and no meaningful gun reform, I for one will be absolutely livid. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, we don't, don't problems want all these good
0: addressed,
4: <laughs> I'm gonna be livid. <laughs> we don't want these good things to happen. I will be livid. All right, Alyssa Farrow. Knowing the background of Alyssa Farah, she was the communications director for Mark Meadows when he ran the Freedom Caucus. right? Yeah. Notoriously the the most. Hardline
0: conservative caucus within the House conference. Right. Yeah.
4: Right. Uh, Quote, I miss the era of politics when one could simply have a different view on who's best to run the country without being labeled a traitor, rhino, enemy, or sellout. Sigh.
0: When she worked at the Freedom Caucus, it was her job to call people rhinos every day. (laughs)
4: Literally their job. Literally your job. What is she talking about? The job of the Freedom Caucus in the era that she was in it, their only job was to call anybody who agreed with Paul Ryan or anybody else a rhino and a sellout. He's a rhino. (laughs) She's, She's just... She's just this revisionist history
0: is incredible just because she wants a permanent chair on The View. When was
4: the era of politics that she's <laughs> talking about? Was that era the one that she was trying to work against? Because that era didn't exist in Elizabeth I mean, Farah's history.
1: That's standard fair stuff, though.
4: That I mean, is that not is, standard fair. If,
1: if we're doing the whole, like, if, if, if the never-Trumper, like, you know, rhinos, that's just, I mean, you get that every day from any single one of them. You wouldn't think that's just her alone. That could be any one of these rhinos. But that Dowd take is just, if the bipartisan solution of the Senate that emerges to deal with gun violence is hardening schools and increased funding for mental health and no meaningful gun reform, everyone will be absolutely livid. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. What the hell? <laughs> it's, cra-
4: it's crazy, but, but it would be even crazier if, like, Dowd was in charge of of reforming some aspect of school safety, right? right? He does. He's not. So he's just like... pop. Her literal job, right, was to do what she now decrees. I mean, this is, is the this
1: is the guy who was in the White House talking about an axis of evil, and now he's like, oh, as a Republican, I just want gun reform. I mean, if it that's is, not madness,
0: it, and not just gun reform, he wants to take gu- if guns aren't taken away from people, exactly, then he's going to be living. If
1: we just basically. deal with the issue here and make schools safer and deal with <laughs> crazies, you know, hey, I'm going to be pissed off, folks. We got to take the guns.
4: Uh, I'm pretty sure I, I couldn't find it because at a limited time. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure Alyssa Farah has called me a rhino. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Um. So, uh, so I
0: disagree with you, Smug. That it's run of the mill. It's a run of the mill, like, like take from like a Never Trumper or whatever, because you know most of these folks, like the Lincoln Project people. They sort of lean in to the – they're not looking for compromise in us all to get together. Like, they're looking for No, they're to, straight down. Like, their whole, their whole sales pitch is, like, we are bad people and and, <laughs> and 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 we were former Republicans. You need bad people as Democrats to help you win. Yeah. You know, because the Republicans have been playing dirty forever. Like, we got to play dirty too. Yeah. You know? Pitch. And, like, her pitch is I want to be on The View, so I'm willing to <laughs> lose every week as a Republican, and sit there and take my lumps. So please, she's begging for this job, and so she's going to pretend like she wasn't the person who was at the Freedom Caucus, basically. That's it. And for that
4: reason, Holmes wins round one. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to stay with the genre. Uh, the View had a, a Whoopi Goldberg. No hey, So you got a View one in here? Yeah, yeah. Okay. They had a Whoopi Goldberg Segment where she was talking about how former Senator Tom Daschle is trying to bring back civil discourse by having Democrats and Republican politicians debate each other in a new series uh, with Lindsey Graham and Bernie Sanders, and the panel's weighing in. <laughs> Alyssa, I'm here for this. We need more bipartisan discourse. <laughs> Dude, you're kidding me. No. no. The partnership between my friends and she lists like three organizations, bipartisan organizations. Yeah. is great. Special thanks to Bruce Berkeley. I don't know who that is for making it all possible. <laughs> like she's got a hand in trying to make things more bipartisan. Literally spent her entire career trying to make politics as divisive as it possibly can. Inner party, not even bipartisan. Right, like inner party. And she's now talking about she's here for this. I'm here for this! Exclamation point. Wow,
1: that's something. Uh, doubt. Republican cowards who celebrate Memorial Day <laughs> while not <laughs> risking their own jobs to save democracy are akin to the guy who celebrates lifeguards but won't save a drowning child <laughs> because he doesn't want to get his clothes wet.
0: You I just can't. been saving that in your back pocket this it's whole time. So good, dude. I
1: can see it the is rounds. so good. I can Could see, see the round. There's see, so much nuttiness in here. They're like the guy who celebrates lifeguards. Like we all know the guy. You know, it's He's like, banger. hey guys, you know what I talk <laughs> about? Guy. Lifeguards, they're the real heroes. You know, it's a
0: banger when Smug can't get through the whole thing without laughing himself. So good. Okay, so we're on. We're on to round round three. Uh, Holmes conceded. Smug, you got to go first.
1: All <clears throat> You know what is a danger to our democracy? One, the big lie. Two, gun violence. Three, restricting voting rights. Four, restricting women's freedoms. You know what isn't a danger to democracy? One, raising minimum wage. Two, gun reform. Three, healthcare for all. Four, critical race theory. And then out of nowhere, <laughs> yes. he's like, I'm going to go for it, folks. Critical race theory. <laughs> toss, might as well toss
4: it in.
0: I thought it wasn't real. It wasn't real. It wasn't real, and now it's a core tenet yeah. for democracy. Core
4: tenet. That's pretty good. Former Republican. It's number four good. on
0: the
1: list is critical race theory. <laughs> That's one of the most important things we can do. It, Get it, done. It, it pulls like number 19 whenever you look at like issues that matter to Americans. <laughs> Dow just went for
4: it. Oh, uh, All right. This is going to go in a little different direction. Okay. Very succinct. Okay. <clears throat> a tweet one week ago today. I actually just live on an endless loop on the Excela from D.C. to New York City. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, that's expected. That's, oh. that's, s- expected.
1: that's s- run of the mill. Sort of explains it all. That's, oh. that's expected. That's expected. Critical race theory from Dowd? Now that's unexpected.
0: That's an... Man, That's that's an interesting... It you know what it kinda it has some radio free Tom Nichols vibes. It does to it that it's sort of like telling on yourself
1: because it's run of the mill. It
0: can no, be no, it's of these.
4: really not. Oh man! And then there's a there's a a train emoji. There's a train emoji. Yeah, there's a train emoji. So we can get a graphical depiction of her journey. <laughs> <laughs> sort of explains it all.
0: I need I need one more read of smugs.
1: Absolutely. You know what is a danger to our democracy? Number one, the big lie. Number two, gun <laughs> violence. Number three, restricting voting rights. Number and, we, and the restricting voting rights is especially good because we just had that case in, in, in Georgia where it's like, no, actually, if you have voting integrity <laughs> laws, you get record number of Record voters. turnout. It's incredible. Four, restricting women's freedoms. You know what isn't a danger to our democracy? One, raising minimum wage. Two, gun reform. Three, health care for all. Four, critical race theory. <laughs> <laughs> like how – what would a Bernie bro say any different? This right. guy's like, raise minimum wage, healthcare for all, critical race theory. I mean, and the raising minimum wage thing is, is incredible, especially today where, like, you remember it was just a year or two ago where it was fight for 15. Right. Where then was 15. And now Dems are saying 20 isn't enough. Right.
4: <laughs> Well, it's not well, they're enough, like,
1: hey, well, I mean, we we, we, we ruined the Button. country with this inflation. Let's shoot for twenty. This guy's like, we got to raise it more. It's got to keep going, folks. Also, critical race theory, Matthew Dowd, so like <laughs> former Republican strategist, White House speechwriter. The thing,
0: the, the thing I'm struggling <laughs> with. <laughs> the the thing I'm struggling with in this round is these are both very on brand tweets for these two people Mm -hmm. Dowd is just straight up a Democrat now yeah he he isn't trying to have some sort of nuanced like never Trump like thread the needle take on the Republican Party he's just straight up a Democrat now and he's
1: I just love the even the mental picture of imagine Matthew Dowd pasty bald as he is being like critical race theory, just saying the word no, no, in say, my mind then, is, is hilarious. And that's, and
0: that's the part that I really <laughs> like about this is that he goes, to he's like, he's hitting all of his marks. Yeah. And then it's like, and critical race theory, critical race theory. <laughs> <laughs> which is just, ah, uh, yikes. Not the messenger. And for, for Alyssa, this is very on brand, I think. And this has been her old sort of retconning of a reputation and, you know, search of that chair on the view. Uh, being on TV all the time, this is tough. I think it's a it's the closest, like a tie that I can rem- I can I can remember. But I think a tie goes to the runner, and I think that means in this game the challenger, Alyssa Farah, is our
4: champion. Oh, huge! A big number one win, and she took out the king. I mean, the wild it was thing is, close. is
1: is it'll only make her happy. Like, <laughs> yes, attention.
4: <laughs> 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 well, I debated going with this, right? But but it's just been so bad lately. Like, the idea that what she's been searching for in her public <clears throat> career was bipartisanship
0: yeah. is like... It's absurd. Patently absurd and false, obviously. I think I'm also, you know, my the judge and jury's own bias is the new... Like, as a new challenger, I'm a little biased to, like, lifting back the curtain for our audience and letting people like know how full of shit these people are
4: yes yes yeah no i i think that's an important point point and yeah. what we try to do yeah with uh, king of the hill all right so uh with win in hand we will now proceed to our interview selena zito i want to welcome to the program somebody uh actually the distinction of being one of the few journalists who are always welcome here on the ruthless variety program selena zito how are you
2: Living a dream. How about
4: you? Uh, you know we're great. We're great. You're highly sought after commodity. The minions really wanted to have you on here.
2: <laughs> well, that's an honor. I I love the minions. <laughs> I'm
4: a- They love you and they love you. But you know what? They have a, plenty of places to keep up with you at Selena. Because I mean, I feel like you have more columns than than anybody.
2: I I write a lot. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, okay, so I'm a daily n- political cultural reporter for the Washington Examiner. I'm a weekly columnist for the New York Post. And I'm also a weekly columnist for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. I mm-hmm. title all of my columns are called middle somewhere. Um, because I do not believe that anywhere in this country, in my estimation, is the middle of nowhere. and And that's traditionally where I'm reporting from places that people usually don't go places that have for lack of a better term news deserts so I try to sort of get in there hang out figure out what's going on get to know the people and write the stories that's what's what's going on in these areas
4: so you've always been an incredibly accomplished journalist and understood innately the Sources that you're covering and the tenor of campaigns. And, and part of that is what you just suggested, and that you get to know the people and you actually understand how people and why people are ca- casting their ballots. But it's particularly the case when we've seen the migration of corporate media away from middle America, right? Where there has been such an emphasis on groupthink that this is sort of hosted in New York and DC and LA where they just don't understand people. And that's where you live and have lived your entire career.
2: Right. I live in what I fondly call the Paris of Appalachia, biggest city in Appalachia, Pittsburgh. <laughs> um, I actually moved outside of Pittsburgh, but I'm still in the area. Um, so here's the problem. And, and and Brad Todd and I wrote about this in our book, an entire chapter about this in our book, um, uh, The Great Revolt, in that... The problem in today's newsrooms is the same problem that is in corporations and academia and institutions, and I would argue within Um, even our political parties whether it's the democrat or republican party is that the people that work in the boardrooms in the newsrooms and make the big decisions have very little in common with the people they serve or the people who sit in their seats or the people that buy their products and that is what was part of, I hate the word trigger because it's like such a psychobabble word. However, it's appropriate here. That's sort of what triggered this conservative populist coalition that I argue began in 2006 when Republicans lost all those seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, and, and so the newsrooms, we were talking about newsrooms. The newsrooms today, it's not that these reporters are, bad people or the people in boardrooms are bad people. It's just that they don't know anybody like me, right? Their worldview is shaped by their neighbors and the people that live in their neighborhoods and in or the same county as them. So um, when, when when a news story comes through a newsroom that's about guns or that's about the life issue, there are very few people in a newsroom that own a gun know how to use a gun um, uh, and or have ever sat um, in, in, a, in a church pew on Sunday. So faith is a very foreign ideal to them. When you put people like that together and they're concentrated in these large newsrooms, right? And they all live in these super zip codes and all went to the same side kind of schools. When they go to cover someone like me or my neighbor, they're odd because they don't have any shared values. And the same problem has been happening in corporations. All that pressure is what helped for, it wasn't just politics that formed the conservative populist coalition. It was the pressure coming from what, what Brad and I called our cultural curators. Here's a, here's a really, and, and we see, I, I wanna get back to this in a minute because we see that starting to crack. We see disruptors in the system with Joe Rogan, with um, Elon Musk, even with Tom Cruise and Maverick. Go see yeah. Maverick. You walk in there and you're like, why hasn't anybody been entertaining me like this for the past 10 years?
1: No because kidding.
2: It. I want to hug everybody in this room. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, nobody's lecturing me. So mm-hmm. if we saw this. I think this is like the clearest example of what I mean by cultural curators. So in 2016, when Colin Kaepernick made a decision to kneel during the national anthem as opposed to stand um, for it, um, think about where the NFL's headquarters are. They're not just in New York City, they're on Park Avenue in New York City, right? Right. What does anyone in that boardroom have in common with the guy who sets aside a third of his salary every year to pay for his season tickets, who built a man cave out of old wood uh, mm. and painted it black and gold or whatever your team is, and, um, and paints his face every Sunday or Thursday or Monday? I mean, now they're every day of the week, right? right, right. Um, but what does he have in common with them? Nothing. He's probably never tail the board. Those board members have never tailgated with with um, with someone like that. I would argue the NFL would be better suited to have their boardroom in Canton, Ohio, and yeah. have a couple guys and gals who went to a state school that live in Canton and and have real life experiences. Because what they would have done is said, Mister Kaepernick, totally respect your what you're doing. However, in your contract on page nine, you signed right there. See, your signature is right here. And you said you would stand for the national anthem. We can debate it next year when you have a new contract, but you got to live up to your contract because people who live in Canton or Pittsburgh or wherever, we have to play by the rules all the time. Mm -hmm. and That's where I think it, it wasn't about police it wasn't about race it was about we follow the rules all the time why is there special privileges for other people yeah
4: yeah no i mean it really has boiled down to that and getting getting back to the the newsroom phenomenon i mean look we we used to just back when there was three networks and maybe a couple of cables and you know you had your daily obviously the washington post new york times ap and then but then local dailies like local dailies figured out how to how to deal with Some of that, right? But then, over time, we've seen this more concentrated. And we used to think we what we call it like the Beltway phenomenon. It's like inside, I've gone Beltway, right? And it was all about politicians that were elected that that chose to live inside the confines of Washington D.C. and its culture. That over time lost touch with their constituency because that's a human phenomenon. If you're only surrounded by one kind of thinking. You just become that, right? And and yeah. that, I guess that is what is this this what we're seeing in journalism.
2: Absolutely, they don't have and 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 you know the problem is they they all live the same same area, went to the same school, socialized together, go to the same cocktail parties, whatever. What, what also happened at the same time is you saw a collapse of hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of small newspapers. Mm-hmm. So People were forced to get their news from a national news organization. And as opposed to, you know, the community bulletin, which they got every day and it came at their doorstep at six o'clock. And, and, and the news was filled with all kinds of things. And it was news. It was not opinion. And, and then now they're sort of forced into these national networks, whether it's cable and or the New York Times or Washington um, um, Post. They're funneled into these places where these reporters don't have any connection to the people that are reading, they're reading them. And so, again, I'm, it's not that journalists are bad. They just don't know who they're covering. I can remember. And, and to be
4: clear, to be clear, some of them are bad. <laughs> some, um, some of them choose to be bad. But your point is well taken in that there is it's almost as if now that we've gone through this awakening within the conservative movement where you understand information flow and where it's coming and it inherently doesn't have your interests or your community. At heart, how much do you, are you nervous about journalism itself becoming a self-selecting profession? In other words, if you're a liberal, you're a progressive, you're more interested in becoming a journalist than you are if you're a conservative or an independent.
2: Right. That's the challenge. I don't know how we overcome that challenge. We're in a real bender right now. And yeah. and I I don't see anybody bringing the wagon to take us out out of it, right? And and you know the solution is is very hard. Because the solution is to go back to news organizations, small newspapers where you can get just the information and and you have a more balanced look at the world. Because most local newspapers, I mean, I worked for a local newspaper for the first two decades of my career. You, You were part of that community you were not only a journalist, but when you ran to the fire, when you ran to the crime scene, you lived in that neighborhood. You were very cognizant and careful about how you reported something because everybody around you was part of your community. There's not that same pressure at the Washington Post or the New York Times when they are covering um, uh, something that is in, in, in the middle of somewhere is across.
4: Yeah. Well, and to, to, the, not to the contrary, right? I mean, even people right. who come from communities like that are very quickly sort of indoctrinated into a group thing by assignment editors or, you know, like this is the thing that you need to be looking. People of authority are, are attempting to tell them what is important to care about. And when you're a young professional, I don't care if you're in journalism or anything else, you listen to your boss, right?
2: right and i think the other problem is is and 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 i left twitter people people that hate me will think i left for run reason i actually left because i didn't like how we treated each other it really bothered me and second of all it didn't make me a better journalist mm. it was a time suck and it didn't make me a better journalist but you know to me and and that to my latter point um Twitter has almost become the assignment editor for journalists today. And and they look at it as this great big pool of ideas and controversies to pick and choose from. And and they believe that is, is how everyone feels or everyone sees the world or this is what's happening everywhere. And that's quite the contrary. Pew has a great study out about exactly how many people that are on Twitter compared to how many people are actually in this country. Um, And also the demographics, it's not just left-leaning. Like there's not even normal Democrats uh, (laughs) uh, on on Twitter. It is the left to the left of of a normal. Twitter is not representative of my neighbors that are all Democrats, right? Like not at all. They would look at that and say, did they land here from a different planet? Because I don't think that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm, I, when I cover things, even in the most liberal or most urban areas, when they're talking about the things that concern them, they don't use words like social justice. They don't use words like climate change. They talk about things in a tangible way in the way that affects them. Like my water is bad here right? Like, m- not me, but like, that's a problem in my community. Our water is, you know, has too much lead or whatever the case may be. They don't say there's climate change in my, in my, yeah, you know?
4: right, right,
2: people don't talk that way. No. But if you on Twitter, if, you know, and you're a journalist, you think everybody talks about social justice and climate change. Not right. really. Like if you'd spend the time listening, not really. One of the, one of the times I, I, I didn't really notice this until 2016 or 15, 16. And I'm out covering the um, Trump rallies. And my modus operandi was uh, well, people should know I don't fly. I don't take interstates or turnpikes. I only take the back roads. Mm-hmm. And I own- also only stay in bed and breakfasts so that the first person I meet in a town is a small business person who usually knows where all the buried. right? They know all the gossip. Um, But I would go into a town, let's say Ashtabula, Ohio, right? I get there three days ahead of time. And I'd kind of like blend in with the community, figure out what's going on, figure out what the problems are, you know, sit and just listen to people, just taking it in. And then I would go to a Trump rally, but I would go like, seven hours early and there would be a line a mile long but it would be like families and grandparents and hibachis and folding chairs and beach balls and I remember the first time I went, I was like wait I thought these things were violent right Right. um and and then you know we were all put in this sort of platform area and and I would be there and then uh, what I would call the celebrity journalist would come on a bus they had flown in to, to the airport. They stopped and got their coffee at the, at the hotel and then they all got on a bus and they drove in. They didn't, and they usually drove in on a highway. They didn't see any of the things that were going on in that town, good or bad. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they would all sit, we would all sit beside each other. And as a journalist, your instinct is to look at the shiny thing, right? The thing that's different. So of course they followed, they, they, they paid attention and zoomed in on the seven completely strange people at the event. Right. And you could block work. You can look across the cable news screen and every one of them had all the seven strange people being interviewed. Right. And they would pull like five clips from Trump where he said the most outrageous thing, which was not hard to do. However, they missed the twenty five thousand other people. They missed that um, the stereotype that they created in their mind of who they thought the Trump voter was, was actually not. the the shiny object. It was the 25,000 other people. It was the doctors. It was the lawyers. It was the mothers. It was the fathers. It was the grandparents. It was the young people. It was a coalition and you can't win an election without a coalition, but they missed that coalition because they focused on the shiny object. Why did they focus on the shiny object? Because they didn't get there for a couple of days and get to know what was really going on and find out what average was in that town.
4: Mm, that's just so fascinating, and, and in retrospect, entirely true. And, but it continues to this day, right? So if we if we Absolutely. move to current, uh, and you, look, you got an up close and personal look at this with the Pennsylvania Senate race, right? How how the national media characterized what was going on, and basically all Republican primaries about yeah. what matters. Is entirely different from when you talk to people on the ground about what they're voting for, what they're voting against, right? I mean, everything is through a prism of Trump because that's, yeah. that's the, the national media's understanding of a conservative electorate, right? It's not, it's not about actually understanding anything.
2: No, and that's a really important point that you bring up. Like well, yeah, I've been down in Georgia covering that primary mm-hmm. for a year. And um, it last year at this time when everything sort of fell apart for Kemp in the minds of the media, um, Trump was mad at him. Um, The all-star game pulled out Coca-Cola, Delta, right? He was getting like from, if you're looking at it from 30,000 feet, you're thinking, no, this guy is John. Mm -hmm. And to your point, everything is, is gone through the prism of Trump. However, that is not true with voters. If you listen to them, I went down there right after that and interviewed him, and I talked to people, and they're like, you know, we like we like Kemp. He gets things done, and he was right to. I, 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 you, oftentimes, you heard, "I like Trump." However, I'm not stuck in 2020. Yeah, and 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 this was the real nuance that people really missed about this race. There were a lot of people that were very embarrassed that they didn't show up in, in for the runoff. Mm. There are a lot of people that were very embarrassed that they listened to Trump and they feel as though they had egg on their face because to them, they, they thought, my God, there's a Democrat majority in the Senate because I listened and I shouldn't have. I should have done my duty and shown up. Mm -hmm. So that nuance that was really important. And so when I was down there in January, I came home like this guy's going to win it by like a huge amount. (laughs) But that's because I went around and listened to people. I asked questions i let them talk about things and you start to put that puzzle together all of a sudden you're understanding what the story really is as opposed to what what the story what they want the story to be every every single story about republican has the word trump in it yeah and and the thing that really aggravates me because i I live in the middle of of what you would call Trump country is Trump voters are complicated and nuance still exists in America. And so does context and they can still like his policies, sometimes like his personality and still not want him to run.
4: Interesting. Also,
2: they can also like him, like his policies, want him to run and not be real happy with the person he backed for in a primary like right. people are complicated they're not they don't fit in these these silos that that my profession like to create
4: they do yeah they, they only fit in those silos when you're covering them like they're zoo animals right, right. it's like oh they're a panda or they're a you know they're a polar bear right, right. <laughs> but but like you know they're not all oh. the same polar bear here
2: And and that's so true, I've been covering the Latino vote for um, extensively for the past six or seven years, right? And I started to notice um, when I first started uh, covering them, you know, in in, in a meaningful way, um, uh, is that they don't think of themselves as the Latino vote. They think of themselves as an American vote. And they vote for the same reasons you and I vote. Community, family, um, um, what's, you know, what, what's going to help my business? A lot of Latino voters own small businesses. And, you know, what's going to benefit me? They don't, they don't vo- vote um, any other way. And they get insulted when you, you know, you, you insinuate they're voting because of, of their, uh, the color of their skin. Um, and or their heritage. In fact, Latino voters remind me very much of am first generation um, Italian American. And they remind me very, very much of my Italian immigrant grandparents um, and, and how and how they assed, uh, settled in this country, assimilated and then created um, family, which by the way, everybody lives next door to each other. That's like not just in a Hispanic thing. That's an Italian thing. That's just what we do, right? <laughs> it just reminds me so much of how how the immigrants from um, the from the twentieth century, the the immigrants from the uh, twenty um, first century do not do not um, behave any differently, and they're like insulted that you that 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 the press, in particular, the Democrats. Um, um, categorize them um, and separate them just because of their heritage.
4: Yeah, well, you're seeing the rubber meet the road there, right? I mean, there's been a huge change, sea change, with Hispanic voters supporting yep. Republicans. You know, we saw it in in Texas, but you're getting it basically in every community across the country at this point. I want to get your your sort of looking glass forward here, and how do you think this settles out in the midterm, and what? kind of shape do you think the conservative movement finds itself in going into a, another presidential election in 2024?
2: Well, I think despite themselves, the Republicans are going to have a monstrous night on, on, um, uh, in November. Um, they will trip up. Uh, part of that is because there's not one singular leader, mm-hmm. but that's also a benefit to them. I think, because it, 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 conservatives need to iron out who they are. I think what you will see, I mean, the, the, the Republican coalition is remarkably different than the Republican coalition of 2006. When I first started covering this, I remember covering Sarah Palin and she was like the only Republican that won in 2006 for governor. And I'm like. That's next.
0: Mm. That's mm.
2: where it's going. But, you know, the conservative populist coalition is, is, is a really interesting coalition because the conservatives have now inherited the working class voter. And it's not just white. It is also black. It is also Latino. It is, is it is also female. Um, so, you know, that stereotype of working class white male, you know, the bitter Bible clinger, right, the deplorable, that working class voter has broadened. Um, you are also seeing suburban voters come back home. Uh, they stepped away in 2018. They stepped back a little in 2020. I mean, Joe Biden did not win by much. Um, and, and just like Donald Trump didn't win by much in 2016 either. Uh, but what, he, what was remarkable is how he flipped counties. But, I, you know, but in this coalition are also suburban educated women. I mean, these are these are people that are always coming back. And and while the gun issue is hot right now, I don't think that the Democrats fully understand how much who the gun owner in America is has changed. We have sold more guns since 2020 than we have ever sold in history. And, and, And the new gun owners are majority female and then majority black. So the gun ownership, the base of the gun, of gun owner is, is, is going to be part of that coalition. Uh, it just depends on how well the, I don't even think how well the Republicans um, navigate the next couple of weeks, I think is how dumb Democrats are in the next couple of weeks. I mean, they're losing this election. It's not that Republicans are necessarily winning it. Mm. Uh, they 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 have (laughs) they have caused their own problems and i hear this so often from democrats who are so fed up they're like it didn't have to be this way but i'm out yeah i'm and 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 so um so i i think the republicans are going to have an amazing um november they're going to win seats that they have they have no business winning um what they do afterwards and it and, and will um, we'll be interesting because what you'll see beginning of January next year, is people are going to start putting it out there that they're running.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and, it, and it, if you I don't know if you subscribe to my view on this, but there's no lack of ambition in the Republican Party. right? <laughs> if, you, if you're talking about the national media kaleidoscope of how they view all of this, it's basically like Trump and Trump alone or a wide open field. That's not my take at all. I think this is a wide open field, no matter what.
2: Yes, a hundred percent agree. And that's not my opinion. That is the opinion of the people that I interview. And as I said, I am out here, you know, everywhere that I travel, I don't even know how many miles I put on my car this year alone, which by the way, is very expensive right now. Um, yes, but, yes, But Thanks, it, Joe Biden. It, yeah. Oh my God, there's so many, let's go Brandon out here in the real world. And there's so many, like every time I pull up to the gas station, there's a sticker that's either brand new or one that's half peeled off that the gas station attendant did that said, I did that. And it's Joe Biden pointing at the, at the, um, at the price.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's everywhere, but listen, yeah. hold on. I got, I got to get you three questions that we have yeah. for everyone. I know you listen to the program, so you know what's coming.
2: Uh-oh. Uh,
4: but I, I also want to say everybody's gotta read your stuff. You can find her at the Washington Examiner, you can find her at the New York Post, you can find her at the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, basically anywhere. It's really smart stuff, as we just talked about, because she gets to know the people who are making these decisions in a democracy that sort of matters, right?
2: Um, they can go to SelenaZito.com. They can send there you email. go. They're all, everything's located there and my emails are free, fun, and they're not fattening.
4: Wonderful, wonderful, <laughs> healthy too. Okay, all right. So first question on the unhealthy side, which I know, I know as a first-generation Italian that you're going to have a good answer to this. Your last meal on earth, what would it be?
2: Oh, it would be ricotta balls. There you with, go. Um, um, some brijol and a little pasta with a little sauce on the side. <laughs> I mean, it's very specific and that's what it's going
4: to be. That's got it. I mean, that's what we look for here on the variety program. Specificity. Okay. All right. So my second question, if you never got into this line of work, if you were never a journalist at the intersection of politics and culture, and you had this blue sky availability to do anything you wanted with your life, what would it be?
2: (laughs) I would have probably loved to have been an art teacher. Ah, I love teaching, so I've taught at Harvard, I've taught at Washington and Lee, I've taught at Pitt, um, and and Hillsdale. I love teaching, uh, but I also love art. So maybe uh, I was an art history minor in, 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 in school, so I would probably combine those two.
4: So you're the successful one with an art history degree. Oh, is that, we've been trying, we've been yeah, constant yeah. quest for that.
2: <laughs> I know a lot of useless information about the history of art and what can be really helpful in maybe like a, a specific trivial pursuit game, but outside of that, not really. <laughs> I,
4: love it. I love it. Okay. The last question, and you know it's coming. Uh, we view everyone, every successful person through a prism of whether you're motivated by the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat, but nobody likes losing and nobody hates winning it's about what motivates you to get there. It's either the glass half full optimist sort of charging up the hill to the next endeavor or the person who's every success they've enjoyed for about two seconds, but every setback they take with them and vow and work that much harder to try to overcome in the future. Selena Zito, where do you find yourself?
2: Um, I'm a gla- I'm an optimist. I'm in and, and this will shock people. I've never been super ambitious um, mainly because in, in, in the center of my life is my family, my children, but also my grandchildren. And, and so the opportunities that I, I've earned have not be, been because I've pursued them, but because people have come to me. And I think that has a lot to do with my attitude. Um, but if I have any really great attribute outside of cooking and hugging my grandchildren, um it would be trying to find the most positive aspect of something and, and work towards
4: that. I love it. in a classic sort of Midwestern way too. Uh, fantastic. Selena Zito, listen, I've enjoyed this a lot. I know we've got a ton out of it. I want you to stay in touch because there's nobody I know who spends more time with actual voters than Selena Zito. And so you got to keep us updated as we go along in this midterm.
2: Yeah, you know what? Thanks for having me. This I I I I I was like a little excited to do this because I'm a fan am fangirling. I'm fangirling here. <laughs> One more shameless plug, please go to SelenaZito.com. I promise you it'll be fun. It'll be a fun ride across the country.
4: Selena Zito, thanks for coming.
2: Thanks for having me.
4: So I, I actually I've known Selena, gosh, almost 20 years. Um She's just a really good journalist. And I knew that the reason she's a good journalist is because she does what she explained in the interview, where she actually hangs out with people and tries to understand voters, not just listening to like the talking points that you get from the campaigns and everything else. What I didn't know is that she drives everywhere that she goes. So she, and she only takes back roads, does yep. not get on the interstate. What a great move! So she only goes to little towns and talks to real people. And I mean, it's incredible to get her perspective on how that different shaping of a story changes entirely from what you get out of the corporate. Right. It's a
0: great way to see the country. And it reminds me of, you know, John Madden said the same thing when he. Was in that bus all those years was just a great way to see, you get a different flavor yeah, for America. A point, I remember that. And yeah. you know, I mean, just wanted to bring up the fact he's back on the Madden cover this it's year. Awesome, I saw you that. So, so
4: great, I'm yeah. definitely buying that. By I the way. know, I know. My kid's getting into video games. Now. That's My the Madden's it, a great way to start. That's great. you yeah. Can't
1: have tucking Super Bowl. <laughs> Get him mad.
4: <laughs> gotta get it, man. Gotta get it, man. <laughs> well, I gotta
1: say, absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen. We we had fun, we 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 got to play games, we even discussed Biden bypassing the media, going straight to the people. So <laughs> excellent episode all around. Outstanding work. Thank you so much for the minions for listening. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.